Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Ben's Learning Lounge, where today we are covering the more serious topic of depression. Now this includes specific conversations centered around the male experience of depression, reasons for such high depression rates, the flaws in diagnosing depression, who are the most in danger of suicide, religion, the root of depression, and more. Now I'm joined by Mr. Joseph Salmieri Jr. Joseph is a good friend of mine from the US who's battled with depression for about six years, despite only being 19 years old. He's managed to get through the darkest of times and like myself is a practical minded individual when it comes to dealing with depression and approaching it from a problem solving perspective as opposed to a victimization one. We've both dealt with severe depression, suicidal ideation and life changing health problems. So I couldn't think of a better person to explore this topic with me in detail. Be aware that some audience members may find the topic of these conversations particularly upsetting, but Joe and I have made efforts to keep the conversations relatively light. We are not doctors, nor do we have qualifications in the areas we discuss in this podcast, so we may not get everything right. But I believe anecdotal insights and philosophical discussions can only be a benefit to others who may be in a similar circumstance or to those who want to understand the experience of depression further. If you believe you yourself are dealing with a depression or some other form of mental illness, do not hesitate to call free helplines such as the Good Samaritans or whatever exists in your country. There is a strength in relinquishing your control of believing you can deal with this alone. There's nothing more purposeful than facing the dragons head on with help by your side. Enjoy the episode. So hello, Joseph. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ben. I'm really glad to be here, man. All right. So jumping right into it, uh, let's let's sort of get a sort of baseline going about depression and, and specifically, I suppose, what they call clinical depression. So would you say that you have or have had clinical depression? And how would you say that that separates from the sort of general experience that people get from, you know, sort of feelings of sadness or loneliness, that sort of thing? Yeah, definitely. At least twice in my life, I've definitely had just diagnosable clinical depression. As for how it's how it's different from just like sadness. Well, when you're okay, when you're grieving, it can mimic definitely can mimic what depression is. In fact, a lot of grieving people might have minor depression to some extent. Just because you, when you're grieving, you've lost something really important to you, whether it's your home, whether it's your family, whether it's a friend, you know, something like that. But just everyday mundane sadness, like, oh, here in the States, let's say, uh, American football, uh, we're getting close to our Super Bowl, which means it's down to the playoffs, and the the Rams, yeah, the Rams beat the Cardinals. Woohoo! A lot of people will be sad about that, because it's like, oh, the Cardinals lost, boohoo. And... Like that, that sadness, it doesn't affect your day-to-day life. You don't have a, a loss of interest in, in hobbies. You don't have a loss of interest in, in your wife, your girlfriend, your, just your friends in general. You don't, you don't lose the motivation to go do the things you enjoy doing, like even if it's just going outside or, or going to work. If you're sad, you don't wake up the next morning thinking, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, unless you already have depression on top yeah. of the sadness. But I think a lot of people just go, well, I'm having a bad day, so I have depression. And it's become like, I, I don't know how many times I've been, you know, on online forums or whatever. And people are just like, oh, I'm so depressed right now. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, maybe, or maybe you're just negatively feeding yourself and you're just choosing to spiral down the sadness path. Like today, let's say it's a sunny day and you can go outside. Well, that's more of like a s- sadness or like a disappointment than it is depression but it's become such a thing for Gen Zers to be depressed or anxious or to have any like if you notice a lot of people especially people of my generation uh, Gen Z if you look 
on their like Twitter profiles or Instagram profiles, outside of the stupid, ridiculous pronouns that can show up sometimes, like Z or whatever the heck, I don't even keep up with those anymore. You'll think you have things like depressed teenager or yeah. gothic, and typically, I'm not slamming gothic people at all, but a lot of Gen Zs turn to the gothic phase when their mental health is kind of down, or just to act all edgy, which. I don't know why edgy became popular. I mean, it, it's kind of cool to be like that that silent guy in the corner of the room who can kill everybody. But at the same time, <laughs> just like just like wearing black and having black like everywhere and just looking like you want to kill somebody or yourself. I don't know why that's popular. No, no. And, and I think that there's, there's really an issue there, right? Because I think movements like that has definitely not helped uh, a lot of people with depression. It's definitely caused a sort of delegitimization process of what people consider depression because it becomes associated, as you sort of bring up there, with these sort of goth-like teenagers who perhaps are being rebellious. They like listen to Billie Eilish, you know, um, <laughs> all that sort of thing. And they believe that's what it means or that's what it is to be depressed. And they almost want to have it because it's almost a status symbol at this point. No, you yeah, know, the it, amount it of TikToks I've seen about ADHD, you know, about mm. this is how I, you know, look at the ADHD walk. You know, I see videos like this or... Um, look at my depressed brain wherever I want to do some work and like these kind of fun jivey videos that in some cases they can be brilliant because they're a great cathartic way to for people to release that energy but in mm -hmm. a lot of ways it just feels like people are just engaging with it because they want to have it and they want to feel different you know so that's always kind of bothered me they want to be special and they want to have attention they want both of those things and if you want both then you'll stop at no end There'll be no no reason to stop when you're getting that that attention. TikTok is huge. Like you don't have to be someone special on TikTok to go anywhere. Like I got when I had TikTok, all it was like react to people's videos, and that's like my face just doing weird things. And I, one of my one of my uh, videos got like three thousand views. Like that doesn't mm. hap that hasn't been something that could happen outside of the past ten years. Otherwise, you had to hope that somebody would read your book, and that would get popular. Yeah. And, and reading a book and writing a book is a lot harder than taking your phone, making a video, and posting it. Like, I've seen people go viral for the dumbest crap. It's yeah. just a need for attention. And a lot of people fake that, you know, with the, with depression, which I don't understand why you would want to have something that makes your life so miserable. Well, I, mean, I think it's because they don't fully understand it. I think they, they see it as almost a... You know what I think they compare it to? I'm not one to watch anime, but they kind of see it as, as sort of like you mentioned, that kind of lone guy or lone wolf type of person who goes against the grain. And, you know, they have issues, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're the main character and they're the ones that everybody everybody secretly kind of likes. I think that's what they think depression is. But depression is like that wimpy kid in anime, which, again, I don't watch anime, but I do know that it's a common stereotype where it's, like, this wimpy little kid who sits in the back of class, gets bullied in, in school, has, like, the, the black hair, is just, like, real, sh isn't, isn't buff, nothing, none of that. Yeah. That's more like what depression is. It, like, that's how it manifests for a lot of people. It's, like, they feel weak, vulnerable, like, they can't do anything, like, they're worth, things like that. It's not like a, a macho vibe where it's, like, you know what? I'm gonna wear dark colors and... Kill people and I'm depressed. No, Smoke that's not, menthols. That, that, yeah. that, that, there's no correspondence there. Yet people, like like we said, want the attention, or they just don't understand it. Which I never really realized until I had depression that like there was an actual difference. Because growing up, fourteen, fifteen, I was like, ah, maybe I'm depressed, maybe I'm not. I don't know. It's because a lot of a few of my friends on Discord had said they were depressed or whatever, and I was like, 
Okay, cool. And then I got depression. I was like, oh, this is really what depression looks like. I never knew that when people described it as a storm cloud that they actually meant it's a bloody storm cloud, not just like yeah. a rain shower. Yeah, that I mean, can you can pass. compare it to falling in love. I mean, <laughs> that's quite dark, but you can compare, <laughs> I mean, the sensation of not understanding what something feels like until you really have it. You know, right. when someone, when you actually do fall in love with someone, you know, there, there is a genuine thing that everything sort of connects at that point. You go, oh, that's, this is what it's like. This is why, like, every bloody song's about it on the radio, you know? And mm-hmm. I think perhaps maybe it's the same with depression there. If you can explain it. You can explain pain to someone. You know, if they've never felt pain before, you can explain it as well as you want. But they'll never truly grasp it until they actually are forced to deal with it properly. Right. Yeah, that seems pretty accurate to me. I wanted to explore, because we can talk about these sort of almost perhaps more obvious signs of depression when it's someone else experiencing them so you can sort of see when there's sort of a lack of motivation maybe they look tired but what does it actually feel like in the head of someone who has clinical depression what is that sensation like it can vary day to day i think um at least in my own experience um there'll be some days where it just feels like the moon is sitting on my chest and all i can all i could do was i shouldn't be speaking in the present tense because it's nowhere near that bad at this point but and it would just feel like I couldn't do anything. It was an effort to to get out of bed, and then later on when it was time to eat or something, it was like an effort to get off the couch. Um, I'm trying to think, how do I explain the effort? It's like trying to lift literally the entire moon while, while you're laying on the couch. It's that heavy of an emotional response to whether it's a, yeah. you know, whether it's a gut malfunction or you're just a negative thinker and it's gone too far or something terrible has happened to you, you're injured, whatever it is. And there'll be other days where it manifests itself as extreme frustration or anger. Like it'll just be, I'll be irritable all day long. And it's like a, it's not like a, I'm an, I'm angry and there's something specific. It's like, I'm irritable and I'm frustrated and I don't know why. And it won't go away. And oftentimes that's often linked to being dehydrated or hungry too, which when you're depressed, it's another thing that, a lot of people don't really understand is it's not easy to eat and it's not easy to make sure you're taking care of yourself. So there have definitely been days where I'm like, I'm in a bad mood and I just won't, don't want to do anything. So I'll do nothing. And then it's evening and I have had like, what just breakfast and I'm like more irritable than I normally am. Uh, yeah. What you've touched on there as well. There's a sort of an active level of self-sabotage there too, which I always found interesting when I went through my sort of worst depression periods. I would say my worst depression periods were were, were, um, were probably about about two or three years ago now. You know, it's it's interesting reflecting on that from someone who's sort of been able to at least uh, come out of that period and then reflect on it properly. But what I found is that the, the amount that that sort of part of your brain talks to you, that part that's usually there to support you, is constantly nagging you. I found that inse- it's constantly talking down on you. And I mean like everything. If you start mm. really trying to focus in on it, it's everything. You know, you, you eat something for, for dinner. Maybe you have like a nut bar and your brain right. is like, why the hell do you think that you deserve that nut bar? And it's like, well, I don't need to deserve it. I can just have it. But you cannot be convinced otherwise. You know, you maybe you go to sleep uh, and your brain's like, well, you should have stayed up another half an hour and done this. Or you stay up later and your brain goes, well, what the hell are you doing? You clearly need to sleep right now. It's like this constant antagonistic figure. And that for me was one of the worst parts. And I think that might be what's leading to that frustration that we feel because that's not really that conscious of a thing. It doesn't feel like it's actually talking to you. But when you start trying to hone in on it and understand what's going on in your brain, I feel like there is, you know, a little figure that's constantly trying to talk you down. Yeah. One thing I've learned over the past 
two years, I guess, because has it been? It's 20, Oh, it's 2022, not 2021 anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My worst depressive episode was 2019 into 2020, and it had nothing to do with COVID. But then it also had COVID also knocked the my legs out from under me because of the responses of governments and whatnot. But yeah, that's something I often forget about is how negative self-talk is really prevalent because I've always been more of like a pessimistic type of guy as far back as I can remember. My, my mom's always been telling me, hey, you need to think more positive, practice gratitude. And I'm like, screw yeah. you. Come on. Let me be yeah. let, me, let me be realistic. That was my thing was like, it's realistic to be pessimistic because something bad is always going to happen. And if I believe something good will happen, I'm going to lose that hope because it's going to not happen. But I never realized how prevalent it was. And I think you hit on something there with just if you hone in on it, it's everywhere in a lot of depressed people. Uh, I definitely had to struggle with that a lot. Whew. The biggest thing that helped me with that, though, was was gratitude. It was gra- like just choosing at night to to like shut off my brain and think, thank you. Th-. Like I'm I'm religious, so I was saying thank you God for X, Y, and Z, and that I think was massively helpful because then I because by the time I was done, yeah. I was I'd fall asleep. I was like, thank you, thank yeah. you. <sighs> I wonder if uh, actually that's something we could touch on perhaps in a little bit. Uh, it is whether secularization has actually led to an increase in depression so i that's something i want to come back to actually but i sort of wanted to add to people who haven't perhaps experienced depression that voice inside your head it becomes so powerful that it is sort of a mind of its own and the best way i can think about it is when you're in a dream that's your brain controlling everything in your dream but it feels like you're in another world right but at the end of the day everything you see in your dream is your brain constructing it the same power i believe is in that sort of voice that you hear it's so it's part of you, but it feels so separate to you uh, that it's got its own mind and its own feelings almost and its own beliefs. So it will always find a way to talk down on you. And it's not like you can just switch it off like you switch off a computer. You know, it's it's almost like this little bastard that's just kind of stuck on there, you know, that you have to try and deal with. But I think once you begin to recognize it and realize what it's doing, things get a lot easier. But that takes a bloody lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it, that's that's a key part there is recognizing that it is an issue. Because if you don't recognize it's an issue, you're not going to try and figure out how to fix it. Yeah, maybe um, people over-identify with it, I think. I think that's a big issue. No, definitely. Like, like like I said, for me, I was always a pessimistic type of guy. And I was like, well, this is who I am. And then I went through that depressive period. And I as I started coming out of that, I was like, I was a bloody moron for the first 16, 17 years of my life. What was I doing? I need to be focusing on more positive things and that doesn't mean like hey look it's rainy today but maybe the sun the sun it's still shining behind the clouds like that's not what positivity here means it means choosing not to focus on the negative things and instead focus on what's you know what's good in life what can, what can i enjoy right now what am i enjoying right now you know being more present I, I always thought it was really cheesy and dumb until i had to do it and i was like ah, this is really important this is really really yeah important. i've been trying to do those uh those gratitude uh morning and, and nighttime routines i forget constantly but, you know, mm. I put it in my calendar now to make sure, like, I'm just three things, you know, and, and I always kind of mix it up, you know, there's like one thing that I'm grateful for that happened that day, then uh, one thing that I did that I'm grateful for, and I think there's like more of a general sort of grounded, sort of what's one thing I'm, I'm happy for in general, and that kind of mixes things mm. up, so it's not every day you're going to bed going, ah, right, okay, I'm, I'm grateful for my family, finally I can sleep, you know. It gives it a bit of, it mixes it up right. a little bit, so it keeps your brain, uh, your brain on alert. I think that bit right there when you said the second question was, "What it, I'm grateful for something that I did today." That's really important because to counter the, the the constantly nagging little pixie in the back of your head that's going, "You are an evil person," every time you do something, 
is to counter it with, well, what did I do that was good today? Whether it was, I got up and took a shower. If that's the best thing you did that day while you're in the midst of a really bad depressive state, that's incredibly awesome. Like, I have a hard time accepting those things about myself. And so it's really, I know other people do too, especially when you're in such a deep spot. And it's really important to focus on what have I done that's good, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if you're not feeling it, if you go, all right, what did I do today? I went for a five-minute walk. Great. Good job, me. Thank you that I have the ability to go for that yeah. walk, and I went for that yeah. walk. And then just, like, it's just one thing. It's really important. And I'm glad that you have that on that list because that's that's not something I, I remember to do very often. Oh, that's my favorite one. Yeah, I uh, I went with a th- When I went through the worst time, you know, I think me and you are, are reasonably pragmatic people, which I think gives us uh, more interesting conversations here. I thought, well... Clearly, you know, the best thing to do is to get myself into some therapy. I mean, that seems to work for some mm-hmm. people, at least. And one of the things that we did, so if anyone at home is dealing with this, perhaps this is a helpful helpful trick of the trade, is you sort of get a list of about 50 different characteristics or 100 different characteristics that people have. And what you do is you then list them from top to bottom of the ones that you find most important. So you want to get them into your top 20, then get rid of the last 10 and get your top 10, and then get rid of the last 10 and see what your top five is. Because then once you start to realize that you've got your own character, your own personality that's separate from the depression, it makes you feel like such such a more of a little thing. And it's also just natural gratitude that you have those characteristics, you know. So it's something that uh, that I found was was, was massively helpful and uh, I would recommend. Gotcha. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that one, but that seems like it definitely would be very useful. I have quite a, quite a big question for you okay. and one that I'm not entirely sure of the answer of. So it's definitely going to be a conversation. Do you feel depression is sort of a result of how one has perhaps conducted themselves in life or do you believe it's closer to a disease and i'm wondering what angle you're going to take this from because obviously there's always the religious angle you know that kind of nature versus nurture is it what we're doing or is it just the fact that it it happens to us i always approach it first with what have i been doing that is a potential problem i don't dismiss the fact that it can be a disease for some people um, especially after listening to Jordan Peterson's lectures. Not quite as extreme as he is regarding what it can and cannot be, I think. But definitely, like, a large part of the depression I've had, and I need to give myself some grace just to say, yeah, but I've also had gut health issues, which is absolutely horrible for mental health. But for me, half of what it was was I just sat at home playing video games, didn't socialize with people, didn't get exercise, didn't get sunlight, and that's that's an action that leads to a consequence even if it's an inaction it's still technically an action Um, and for me just to be specific for me for a second those things led to a greater uh, I think risk of depression because as I became aware of it I was like fudge I'm an absolute moron on top of the fact that those things have negative consequences just by not doing the opposite like getting sunlight is really important not spending an entire day sitting is really important But I think a lot of people, especially in the Western cultures, I don't think it's largely a disease as was preached pretty heavily, I think, for like much of, I don't know, between 2015 to 2020. Um, I think it's more so things we eat, the things we don't do, you know, things like that. Yeah. I'm not, I don't this the fact that it's the death there's just some people out there who just have depression and there's not a reason for it their gut health is fine they work out they have a, they have a wonderful life 
I don't know if I have an explanation for those people, but I'm a very, uh, I want a solution. So I would probably not accept it if a doctor told me or any number of people told me, hey, you have depression. There's, we can't find a, re- your gut's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, you're, I, I would not be yeah. able to live with that. I would have to find a reason as to why. No, I'm the same. I feel like, I feel like I'm very similar to you there. I think there's, there's, there's definitely a, um, there's a middle ground, isn't there? I think there's a lot of it is to do with how you act and perhaps how one is one is led up to that situation. You know, like you said, through inactivities or perhaps there's that sort of slow, gradual progression of from becoming a pe- pessimist to someone who just absolutely sees no point in anything nihilistic, mm-hmm. I suppose. And that slowly builds up over time. But at the same time, I think those things, it's almost like a buckaroo. You know, there's a certain point where you just break the camel's back and it becomes too much. And then that's when you sort of tip over into that disease-like thing, which starts affecting more of your hormones, you know, your thyroid, your ability to produce serotonin and dopamine, because that becomes habitual, your actions. And that then has the knock-on effect of the brain and the brainstem and the gut even that leads to leads to um, leads to depression. I wanted to bring up a fact here really quick too. Um, is that it's nine percent of men in the U.S. have daily feelings of depression or anxiety. That's daily. So that's nine percent mm. of men in the U.S. are suffering from clinical depression. So I wanted to hear your thoughts about what you thought might be causing that. Now we've initially spoke about this before, and listening to your podcast that came out like a year ago, uh, one of the reasons that you sort of thought was a big issue with this with social media. So I was wondering to know whether perhaps that opinion is, is changed, um, adapted, uh, strengthened. So I wanted to go a bit into that. Definitely a bit less extreme on it because before I was of the mind that nobody can control their consumption because even just a little bit of social media is enough to cause an issue. But social media specifically, I think it's changed a bit, like my opinion on it, regarding, okay, so how much consumption equals depression? How much time, you know, what the content is, I think generally, just generalizing it, if all you're doing is scrolling for for a few hours every day, just scrolling on social media, I think that is a contributing factor because what do you see? You see people's lives, whether it's a friend you know or just somebody you follow who maybe they got they went to the gym today and that makes you feel bad because you didn't go to the gym today. Uh, maybe they went to a party and yeah. you didn't go to a party. Maybe they have a hot girlfriend and you don't have a hot girlfriend. You know, uh, Also, just the ter- the term is now like doom scrolling or whatever. I just like to call it, you're scrolling through a bunch of news. It's just straight up, that's all you're doing. And when you're scrolling through yeah. bad news, which that's all Twitter is, a lot of Instagram is that, it's just negativity. And what do you, what happens, it's the same thing that happens with people who believe in climate change is going to end the world in 10 years. It's, wow, life is so terrible, there's no hope. Now I'm going to get depressed because it feels like there's nothing I can do to solve that problem. So I think social media is definitely a contributing factor. I don't, I wouldn't say it affects everybody the same way. I know, almost. I, I'm. I would say, and I say this with false confidence that everybody is affected in some way, shape, or form by social media. But I think it varies from person to person, and how much of it you consume. Because if you have a time limit on it and you obey that time limit, let's just say it's thirty minutes a day, and you're not just gorging on it all at once. I don't think it's too much of an issue. But I definitely think that social media has led to a, a lesser of quality of life when you just consider depression as a whole yeah no i would agree i think that the use of social media first of all we don't fully know the impact of social media at all considering it's been around for such a small 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 period of time given how long humans have been around but you know especially when you're someone who perhaps sees themselves as quite competitive i've definitely been quite a competitive guy in the past 
And when I see someone perhaps who's doing quite successful uh, when I was at my worst points, then I would see that as almost a, a serotonin reduction because it's a challenge. I'm seeing someone who's way more successful in me than something doing incredibly well. And all I can see then is, well, Ben, why the hell aren't you doing that? You know, you're a competitive guy. There's no reason why you can't be in that arena. So constantly looking at things like that, it's just going to put you down. What's really interesting is mm -hmm. now that I'm in a much healthier mode, when I see people doing that kind of successful, I'm seeing guys who do amazing at the gym. That's more motivational now. I don't see that as almost a, 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 um, a confidence reduction as much as it is a confidence boost to be like, all right, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, let's give it a go. You know, perhaps that's unhealthy too. Perhaps identifying yourself with other people's sports and hobbies and whatever it is, is unhealthy. But it's interesting to see that shift of when I was healthy and when I wasn't. Yeah, I had a similar shift and I get the first like major, I, I, I shouldn't say first, like the major depressive episode I had, I was like, I would use Instagram scrolling as a way to get dopamine just to make myself feel good because I felt like crap all day. And then I did research because that's who I am. Like when I got depressed, I was like, bloody hell, I need to figure out what the heck is going on here. And it wasn't like, I'll wait for the doctors. I was like, screw the doctors, man. The acid, what are the side yeah. effects? fudge that explains what's been going on for the past eight weeks okay how can i combat this without going and taking drugs because i'm a very skeptical person and given how i've reacted to drugs previously i was like i'm not too sure about diving headfirst into something that seems to be even the doctors themselves are like well you know we don't know what could happen you could become addicted you might never get off them again because your brain just can't function without them we we don't yeah. know but hey or take them um Oh, they're way too happy to give out those drugs. Way too happy. <laughs> Opioids, anyone? Yeah, opioids. Well, that's that's definitely a U.S. problem. <laughs> but SSRIs as yes, well over here. Is. It's just like, you, you know, they don't. There's no real. They don't do any tests about depression, which I find quite bad. Um, yeah, but how would you? How would you get a test? I mean, the pro I think the problem with depression is how do you get a, a, an objective test to say. What is this person's level of depression? How do we treat it? Because everybody is different, which means subjectivity comes into play regarding symptoms and how it's affecting yeah. one's life. Like what what how can you find something objective to test for it? I don't think there shouldn't be a test. There definitely has to be a way to test for it. But well, perhaps the question not, is, not a how test do we do it? to identify depression, but at least to identify factors of depression. So for example, right. I'm aware that people with depression tend to have like an, an enlarged amygdala in their brain, you know, which like that's responsible for like fear. Uh, and, and pleasure but it's because of the fear mm -hmm. the cortisol aspect that that is built up so you know just measuring things like cortisol i think would be at least a, some kind of measurement of something for people uh, because then they can work on that you know if people kind of know what some of their issues are if they happen to be someone who has a higher level of cortisol they can look at reducing that you know perhaps they they have issues with their gut right as you mentioned so i think what is it 95 percent of serotonin i think is produced in the gut so yeah, something like that. Yeah, if if they're aware that people have gut issues, work on that. But never did I ever go to the doctor and they went right. Okay, so we can we need to look at your cortisol levels. We need to look at how your gut's functioning, your microbiome, and then from there we can sort of take step. They go, oh, so there's this drug called the SSRI. <laughs> you wanna you wanna try that? We can charge you a few quid a a few quid a month, and uh, yeah, off you go. Mm hmm. There was I was reading a book. Um, the guy was writing. Uh, I was given it during like my darkest time because the guy was writing about spiritual warfare. It was interesting to read, if nothing else. Uh, definitely, I think it helped me a bit just with like a, a morale booster because I'm still not sure how spiritual warfare actually works. Like I know as a Christian, 
there is good versus evil in the world around us, demons versus angels, whatever, and that they like to demons like to attack Christians in any way they can within their limits. But in the book, he mentioned that out of nowhere, for no reason that he could figure out, he'd been like outside of just like he'd been really busy with conferences for like six months straight. He was just flat depressed. He couldn't get out of bed. Nothing. It was like it was like it was pitch black in his mind all the time. And he went to the doctors and. Thankfully, the doctor wasn't like, let's just give you antidepressants. The doctor said, all right, we're going to run some tests. And they found he had almost zero, I mean, zero testosterone in his body. Wow. Okay. So they put him on testosterone. And within, I think it was like, thir- uh, like three months, he started to get better. And he was on antidepressants for a little bit just so he could get through the dark period. And then once he got back into himself, you know, the t- testosterone is important for guys, really important. Yeah, that's insane. And once it started to come back, he was like, okay, all right, now I can continue being me, got off the antidepressants, and was on his way. So I'm not ever going to be like, antidepressants are bad for everyone. I just think it shouldn't be a first resort and really shouldn't be something used long term. I think perhaps the industry has been taken over a little bit by the psychiatrists. You know, I think they've tried to take a handle on depression as being, okay, well, depression's in the brain. Uh, therefore, we just need to look at it as perhaps psychosomatic symptoms and looking at how that person can develop themselves through depression to deal with themselves. But sometimes there are more accurate uh, or, or, or even simple answers you know, to that. You know, Like you said, perhaps it is yeah. that they do have a lack of testosterone. Perhaps it is that they have good issues. Perhaps it is that, God, their dog died. You know, There are all sorts of reasons why people can get into a depressed state. But the fact that they think a yeah. one-size-fits-all approach is going to work and we just put you through therapy and that alone will work, isn't really isn't really going to happen, especially when men. I feel we're quite pragmatic, and we want to try different solutions. Well, it's interesting because I was before the podcast. I was doing some quick reading on like what's the difference in depression between like men and women because we're biologically different, which means there has to be a different response because just because of the way our chemical makeup is. And it was interesting because some of the things listed were ladies are a lot more prone to show sadness and be sad, whereas guys are a lot more likely to be angry or frustrated, to take right. greater risks with their lives, to just be more likely to de- just not even take a look at it and be like, I, go th- I can get through this unless there's a physical ailment involved, which struck me because like when I get depressed, like I said, I get frustrated or angry. Um, I'm a bit more emotional than the average guy, so I definitely am not afraid to be like, hey, I'm in a bad mood. I'm feeling pretty crappy, depressed, whatever you want to call it, to like my friends and my family. Like, that's how I got through my But crying biggest... is harder though, right? I can't cry. I no, cannot. neither can I. I can't cry either. And I think when I was going through a rough time, that would have been very helpful. I would have loved it. Like, yeah. I tried so many times and I said like no yeah. tears. I was like, can I cry? But I did ha- I did notice something and I don't know if you've ever had this where I would just feel like I was crying. There was like never any actual yes. tears. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then afterwards I felt refreshed. Like I had actually had a good cry. And I was like, what is this? I didn't actually shed any tears. I know tears, like the tear ducts are specifically designed when you're sad or depressed to help release that and cleanse the body of it. But, like, I didn't shed any tears. I was like, what the heck? What Did I just, like, shed the emotions through sweat or something? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I did find a couple of times when, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't cry or have much of the effects of that. But, you know, I get that sort of sensation of the chest going up and down type yep. of thing that happens when you kind of get upset. But um, it was very strange. There was never any... There was not even a sight of a tear, you know. No. And that th- those moments would last very briefly compared to how normal people cry. You know, I'm talking a few seconds. But at least after those few seconds... I would go, oh, I feel a bit better now. But mm-hmm. it's but it's almost impossible to cry. And, and first of all, before people jump on this bandwagon, I want to hear your thoughts about this. 
I don't think that's due to society, society particularly. I don't think that men don't <laughs> cry because of society. Because that, that's what they'll say, right? They'll say men can't say, cry yeah. because the society's made it so that, you know, it's not comfortable for them to cry. But you can cry around me. I think there's just something instinctual in men that puts us off crying because I think it perhaps somewhat has been evolutionary uh, disadvantage to us to do that. I don't feel like it's because we just, we don't want to. I feel it's because we like physically can't. Well, we've, I, I've actually tried to cry. Just like, I need to cry. Why can't I cry? And whether I was relaxed or not, I couldn't. Um, Steven Crowder, you know, his, his uh, oh, yeah. Ladder with Crowder show, they were discussing briefly the difference between like men and women. And one of the things that came up was they were talking about crying specifically. And, and Steven uh, Mr. Crowder, he said, he was like, there, there are studies that have shown that, and not just studies, but like personal experience, that men don't cry until it's the final resort. Like, they've got nothing left in the tank. Like, let's say you've been really angry right. and you have no more words. Your anger has just gotten so high that it can't go anymore. Then you get frustrated, and then after that, you cry. The crying is the last straw. And he's like, ladies, if your man is crying, you need to check up on him because he is at his wit's end. And I, that struck me because, like, when I was younger, 14, 15, I was a very hot-headed kid, still kind of hot-headed, but working on it, you know? And my dad and I would get into it and we would scream at each other for like 10, 15 minutes. It felt like, and then afterwards I'd go outside cause I need to cool down because if it went any further, it'd get physical. You know, I needed to get away Yeah. and I would really feel like crying, but then I wouldn't let myself cry in those moments. Cause like, I cannot cry right now. Cause I don't want anyone coming out here and trying to be like, Oh, it's okay. You're like, I don't like, I don't like that no. emotion, the emotionality of, of some, some ladies where they're just like, they get all motherly, and I know that's an instinct that they have. Like, I'm not dissing them at all, and I know a lot of guys really like it. But if I'm going to cry, I'm going to do it alone and right. just let it out where I'm not interrupted. To me, it's the interruption that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. If you kind of stop crying, and then if someone says to you, it's okay, let it out, it goes right back in. Right back <laughs> in, boys. Yes, it does. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't come out anymore. It's like, I'm done. You ruined the moment. I'm just going to go punch a tree. <laughs> yeah. Of anything more accurate than that, actually. Yeah, that's what happens. It's 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 a strange response, and you're right. It is when you only hit when you only hit the very rock bottom. I think it's because when men are, are, are pragmatic in in more senses, they don't see a pragmatic benefit to crying. You know, perhaps there obviously is a, an emotional benefit to it. In the sort of logical world, it doesn't feel like there is because you think, well, instead of crying, I could actually be going around solving this fucking problem. You know, so mm. it feels like a a an unnecessary reaction to have. So I think naturally it's just not part of us to to do it unless it's really really the last resort and that's just biology i mean girls are just more emotional than guys are and that that sentence alone is going to get so much flack like just because the way the culture is but girls are more emotional like my sisters i've got six sisters they cry a ton especially when they're on on their periods it just can't they it's a they are allowed to be emotional yeah and by that lot, I mean biologically. Whereas I'm over here like, I've been frustrated and angry for five days straight and I still can't cry. So I'm going to go punch a wall or something because yeah. I don't know how to fix this. But I'm always thinking, like, for example, if a girl has a breakup or a guy like, mis like yells at her or something, a lot of times what if they go to their girlfriends, they get hysterical about it, maybe they'll cry, something like that. Um, I don't know if this is just a guy thing or not, probably is, but when somebody disrespects me or gets in my face, I remove myself from the situation not always immediately. I should definitely work on that. But then later, I'm like, I got to hit this guy up. We got to talk about this. This cannot right. stand. I'm, I'm like, I'm not like, I don't have time to go and, 
and weep. I'll be frustrated. I'll be angry. Like my immediate response is, I want to rip that guy's head off. Thirty minutes later, I'm like, <sighs> yeah. Go back and talk to him or her, whatever. It's not worth letting it stand. Whereas I've noticed a lot of girls just like like I'm gonna go have a cry for an hour. I'm gonna take a shower and cry again, and then I'm gonna block him when he tries to, you know, apologize. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a con, what? there, isn't it? It's it's there's no resolution. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing that you've hit on there with the differences, and not only just it's not just the pros of being able to cry, but there's cons there too because it feels like you've perhaps solved something when you haven't done anything. So there's t- there's yeah. times when you have to be pragmatic. That's that's definitely the better. You know, if a woman thinks perhaps if she cries, she can get rid of it. A guy thinks if he cries, he's, he's just wasted that time when he could have been researching what he could do to better himself. You know, so mm-hmm. that that's an interesting point. I wonder if if that point as well is linked to. I did see in the US that that men are, are four times. I see one said three times, but this one I read said four times more likely to commit suicide than women. And do you think that's also a because men are pragmatic? Because I think. Some people might argue, oh, it's because they're so depressed and it's so horrible they want to die. I think, yes, but it takes a pragmatic person to go, right, well, um, things are bad. It looks like the next logical option is to kill myself. In, in a strange way, I, I wonder what you think about that conclusion. <laughs> I've read uh, similar studies, and the ones I've read were all like, well, ladies are far, far more likely to try and kill themselves, but guys are, I think it was three, was it four times? It might have been as high as... This at 10, no, but I'm not going to go that. I'm just going to start around three or four times that they just use the right tool for the job. Why? Probably because men are more logical. Girls are like, I need to slip my wrist. Guys are like, give me a gun and I'm going to blast myself where it's going to kill me. And not all girls, but like they'll take pills or slit the wrist or try to cut the, something like that. Not to be too graphic, like something like that. Maybe women and that flirt is with it more. more a... Maybe that's what it is. Maybe sometimes the actions they're doing is to see whether they can do it or not. And maybe it's attention-seeking as well. Like, a lot of girls, not all of them, and not in every walk of life, but quite a few of them, a large part of the reason why they have depression is because they're not the prettiest. They're not, they don't have the most attention. They don't look like Instagram models. And so, like, well, I got to fix this by crying and trying to kill myself. But it's just interesting that guys are more logical about it. They're like, you know what? I can't see a way out of this. I don't want to talk to anyone else, you know ending it like a gun or jumping from a a 30-story building instead of like taking some pills. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. I think the part where I perhaps disagree is that I think while I agree that there's the attention-seeking aspect in not committing suicide but almost doing it, which I think is, you know, in a lot of ways it's a good thing because they're trying it and it doesn't really work and they realize that perhaps if they do it, people will take them seriously because we have an issue with people taking it seriously. But Mm. I wonder what... Maybe it's not that I don't disagree. No, not necessarily that I disagree, but I wonder the percentage of cases in men and women with circumstantial depression and where it's just like flat out depression, clinical depression. Because what you kind of described there with women was a lot of sort of circumstantial depression. You know, they're right. ugly. They're, um, their family doesn't love them. Their boyfriend's terrible. But I wonder if it's a similar amount of cases for both of circumstantial depression. Because when I went through a depressive phase, I'll be honest with you, everything was going okay like in my life so you know i don't know that's just a point to bring up right no i I wouldn't i wouldn't disagree with you there Uh, if i if i made it sound like girls only try to kill themselves for attention that's not my intent with that statement no i didn't come across Uh, like that i was just challenging the the idea of circumstantial depression uh, whether that's more common in women or not 
It might be, but I'm not sure purely because, again, women are more emotional. So I don't know how that works. Yeah, that, I, that, I, w- I would say it is. I would say it is. I think if, if women are generally more emotional, then I think that they're more likely to delve into issues with circumstantial depression. And I think that the suicide rate is higher amongst men because I think circumstantial depression, there's almost in the back of the head that it will slowly go away. Right. But if you're like proper clinically depressed and you know that you don't really see a way out, there's no clear answers. I think that's one of the reasons why the men are more likely to kill themselves. I don't just think it's because they more likely good to find the tools for the job. Mm-hmm. It's that in perhaps more male cases, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. for Right. Them. No, I think you're right there. Um, I mean, when I was the darkest time for me, I, I won't lie. I definitely thought about ending it all. Um, but I forced, I had to force myself to remember, Hey, this can end. But it, this could you could be perfectly fine tomorrow morning. You don't you don't know that. Um, I mean, for me, mine was more circumstantial, de- circumstantial definitely, because like it was, I was physically ill. I needed to to put on some weight. There was a lot of pressure from doctors. It was fear. Like fear has been a massive player in my life, and often why I do spiral at times. So mine was my depression was definitely more circumstantial, which kind of makes sense given I'm more emotional than again your average guy. Like all the guys who work construction. They tend to not be really emotional about stuff. I'm a bit more emotional than some guys. Don't, I don't know why. The gene and the god was like, hey, boom, you're so going to... I remember rightly, aren't you in like a, a woman-based household or something? Or did I make that up? <laughs> yeah, that too. I have my mother and six sisters and my little brother <laughs> is like 10 years younger than me. Well, there you go. So, yeah, that's, I've always thought about that. Like I, Growing up when I was like 12 years old, I was like, I wonder how much less of a man I am because I have so many sisters. Hey, maybe you're also more of a man <laughs> in some ways too. Yep, definitely. Yeah. I don't smack girls unless they're my sisters. Yeah, you're like, yeah, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't flat. say like, I, I, <laughs> I brutalize the girls <laughs> who live with me. Like, you know, it's just, just like, it's just what you do when you're a kid, don't you? Well, talking yeah. about the circumstantial differentiation, I also found out that white men who were aged 85 and above are the high, are the most in-risk group for committing suicide in the U.S. I don't know if you knew that. Why? Cause that blew me away. I did not, but I'd immediately guess it's because they're nearing the end of their lives yes. and they don't have family anymore. Right, and, and it's like a, a circumstantial lot of... situation. It's circumstantial, yeah. but it's not going to go away. No, you're not gonna. Your family's not just gonna come back to you, especially if all of them died. Like your your cousins, your uncles, yeah. your parents, your wife, maybe even a kid or two. Like that is interesting. That like that ties into I think a bit of Western culture. Um, family isn't important anymore. Right. That, that's just my neighbors were mother and daughter. They lived together. Mother was like eighty. I think she yeah she's close to ninety now, if not ninety. Uh, daughter was 60s and their family just really didn't the mother didn't she didn't have her kids didn't come visit her grand she had she was a great grandmother and she didn't have many visitors yeah. outside of like some of us from my family um, her daughter I mean she had school she was a school teacher special needs so she had that but again her family she didn't really see outside like three four times a year until she got had cancer and started to, to deteriorate and then all the family was like we gotta be here and I was like my thought immediately was, why? Why wait till then? I know life is busy and crazy, right. especially when you're trying to be successful in your career. But you never know when... The, after the age 65, that risk just gets higher and higher. Just The risk that they're going to have a heart attack or whatever, it just gets higher with the older they get. Yeah. Whereas, more so in the past than, than now, but a lot of black families, 
huge part of their culture is family. You know, grandmother, grandfather, family just sticking together. Oh, yeah, I know this where I live because uh, we don't have many, many black people up in the northwest of the UK, at least in my area. But mm-hmm. we have many Asian families and it's exactly how you're describe, describing. Like yeah. they live with their grandparents. They have these huge family celebrations. Right. And then I think like down south in, in the States, that that's the culture there is family and community. Like they don't have, they don't go for the, the big cities and things like that. They're like, there are big, still big cities down there. Don't get me wrong. But their whole thing is family and culture and community. Whereas the further north you go, to like the citified areas, kind of around where I live, the northeast United States, you get a lot of cities, which means you get uh, a lot of broken families, you get more drug use, you get more alcohol abuse, you get right. more violence in the home, things like that. It's a lot harder to live in a city. You can't make enough money to cover the rent because cities are really expensive and minimum wage is really low compared to that, which is an entirely different issue right there. But yeah, I think a lot of people who aren't white, depending on where you live, they just... They, ha- they care more about family and community. And I think when you cut out family and community, you cut out a key support system and a key reason to keep going. Because a lot of, like my dad, my parents are going through a rough spot. But my dad, he says, I'm not giving up on this because if I do, my kids won't have a dad. And that to him is really important. And if you don't have that in there, it'd be like, oh, I'm gone. Goodbye. I don't care what yeah. damage I cause. I'm out. You know, things like that. Like if you don't have a reason, and family is a huge reason. Like if you actually care about your family, it's a huge reason. A huge yeah. reason. Yeah, that people kind of forget about traditions too, right? Is that family throughout human history has always been so important. In fact, I just had a guy on, I don't know which order I'm going to put these up, but we were actually talking about trees uh, and the fungal network that connects them underneath. And mm-hmm. I found that so interesting because that fungal network, the mother tree can find out through a fungal network who its baby saplings are in other areas of the forest. And through that fungal network, it can send food and nutrients to its children to, to nourish them and help them. But you don't see all this above ground, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it's a large part of being human to have sort of a similar type of connection, you know, with those around you. I think there are more invisible connections, but nevertheless, it's what caused humanity to thrive is living in societies. So I think as soon as we sort of begin to move away up from ourselves from that, I think we lose a huge part of ourselves. I think we've perhaps become too individualistic in that way. Definitely. I mean, once again, families are huge. Uh, biblically, I mean, God commanded his the people who follow him he said honor your father and mother that was a massive commandment freaking solomon himself in proverbs was saying you need to take care of your wife as she gets older like there isn't a, a ever a command that's like nope forget about the widows and the orphans like that's a massive command in the new testament if people mm-hmm. diss the old testament because it's outdated the new testament a large part like any of the any of the books after no even in matthew like matthew mark luke and john like the the core gospels one of the major things jesus is doing is feeding the poor he, uh, healing and helping uh, orphans and widows and then it's a massive commandment throughout the rest of the new testament everyone's saying hey i don't care how successful you get i don't care what you do with your life you need to be making sure the orphaned and the widowed the fatherless have food have housing are taken care of have community and i think that's part of the reason why church is really stressed in and just not biblically, but modern day, is because if you don't have that community, you don't grow. And a lot of people yeah. try to go it alone. And if you're going it alone, you, you don't you can't see your faults. Yeah. Very true. It takes it takes people on the outside to tell you you've got sweet corn in your teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually brings brings back to the point that um I wanted us to come on to earlier, but you know, has religion helped you throughout this? Because 
you know, I, I'm personally not religious. And the fact that I don't subscribe to any religion, it's not that I don't see merits in other religions or or see think that there's some kind of uh, something out there, but that's a conversation for another time. But do mm. you think religion has helped you throughout it? And do you think that perhaps the desecularization of the of the West has caused um, issues there with regarding to depression? Yeah, the uh, for the I refer to it as the darkest moment of my life time period. Sorry, I mean I didn't mean desecularization. Yes, I meant secularization. <laughs> Removal of God from culture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there it is. For my own personal journey, I don't think I would have gotten through it alive or as well as I did without God. I'm pretty sure he's the only reason why I had the strength to get through it. Um, and it gave me a reason to have a habit. I formed the habit of reading my Bible every morning because I, I was like, without it, I'm not going to get through the day. I'm not going to be able to have my own strength to get through the day. Mm. Um, that's petered off a bit, and I've been trying to work back on that just because the Bible is fascinating and really important. But I don't think if I had, had not had religion, I don't think I would have gotten through it the same or even as successfully. But what what is it doing? <sighs> what is religion doing for you? Well, this one is you know is hard to measure because you have to be able to believe that he exists. But I'm entirely positive that religion, just on a physical level, uh, having God and and being in a relationship with Him, gave me the strength to get through because I can't and He can. That's a common that's commonly quoted in Christian circles as I can't but He can. On a more emotional level, it's the constant reminders that life is hard. Like a lot of what, like some of the books in the New Testament, like James, a massive part of their story is you're going to have suffering and trials. But no matter what happens, you still have God by your side. It's a, it's a reassurance that that I don't think a lot of people have. Is It doesn't matter if you're alone. It doesn't matter if you have to face the lions by yourself. God is always with you, and he's never He's never left you before. He's never left anyone before. He's not going to leave you now. Like, that promise that he's going to give the strength, the peace. Um, that's another thing that I had that I never thought I would have. I was incredibly joyful and had incredible incredible amounts of peace for two months out of that dark time, and that was when I was closest in, in the Word and with God. It's one of the things he promises, and I can't explain it. Like, as a human being, there's no way that I can go. I have, I'm joyful, like an inner joy that kept me going, and peace that kept me going. Like, I'd be like, oh, I'm getting off first. God, I just need peace. And five minutes later, I'd be like, I'd be, able, I'd be calm. I could focus on what needed to be done, go to sleep, whatever it was. And that's not something I can ever, I've been able to figure out, like, just logically, like, why did I, why was I so joyful despite how much pain I was in? I, I don't have a reason for that other than. Mm it being a God thing, it was definitely a support system. It, honestly, without it, I would have been falling over like I'd lost an entire leg. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense because I, I saw some, some more figures, basically. This is only over a short period of time, but I think it's related social media too, but children between ages 12 to 17, there was an increase from 8.7% uh, of them feeling they had depression in 2005 to like 12.7% in 2015. Holy yes, that's cow. like a 30% increase. And I think a lot of people are becoming secularized. You know, there's there's a push away from God. I'm not religious. And what I found is when I was going through my toughest of times, my parents were there, obviously. But, you know, when you're depressed, you don't really want to be relying on your parents. Uh, <laughs> no. you, just don't, you, know, you don't want to get them involved. So I felt like mm -hmm. I was on my own. So anytime I felt like there was any strength, 
Um, I felt like that had, I had to force that out from within. I think the benefit mm-hmm. of Christianity is that so obviously you still have to force things out and stuff to try, but it's, it's nice to have definitely. something physical, like a book there that you can refer to, you know, people who perhaps gone through this before or uh, lessons that can be learned from it. And knowing that there's someone there beside you who is looking after you, that patriarchal figure. Um, I can only imagine mm-hmm. that, that that does someone good when they are looking at the light at the end of the tunnel. And add to that, like I said, mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of what Christianity at at its core is is community and supporting the the weak, the poor, the widowed, the orphaned, and my best friends. And my best friend and his family were huge supports to me during that time. And I'm not saying you have to be a Christian or religious to be a support to somebody, but it was just it's just second nature to a lot of true Christians that I know. It's hey, you're suffering, and I know you. Let me help you, and not in like a condescending way, and it's it, it's interesting to see. As for the, the world becoming more secular, one of my friends shared a paper with me. It was a blog post, but based off uh, several, uh, based off a psychiatrist and some studies. And the guy was, and he's like, okay, so what happens if we get rid of God? What happens uh, if God doesn't exist anymore in culture? And what he found was, after three generations, it went from like. Um, community and and less violence and things like that to a lot of sex outside of marriage and then he found from right. there that that led to a complete deterioration of all civilization he found that within three generations uh his theory was wow. based upon previous civilizations like the roman empire that he found within three generations uh, generations of this happening either the civilization didn't exist anymore or it was conquered by another one and then the author of the blog was like all right we can start looking at this for America specifically. He said, all right, we start losing God around the 1960s. Where does it lead us? Sexual revolution. That lines up perfectly. And now we're finding more divorce rates and, and yeah. higher mental health issues. Okay, that lines up with what he said. The next step is the country of the United States falls apart completely. And he's like, I really hope that doesn't happen. It's still a theory. <laughs> it hasn't been tested. So we don't know if it's going to go all the way it there. It hasn't been tested. It's all happening the way it described, but it hasn't been tested. He said, maybe we can reverse it. I don't know, but let's have some hope that we can reverse it. But it's interesting that that's what happens. And even if on no other level, just having a set of morals that you are obligated to follow means you're going to be a better person. Do not steal. Do not murder. Those are key. Do not cheat on your wife with your neighbor. Don't have sex with animals, things like that. Those are parts. To add on to that, sorry, because there will be non-religious people listening to this like myself. But the, the meaning in those mm-hmm. in what you're saying is is it goes deeper, you know, because it goes to the point where the reason why you shouldn't have sex with your neighbor is the, the amount of chaos that, that can, it's not just because that's a thing. It's not just said for fun. Yeah. You know, there's so many layers of how that can affect the, the, the community you live in, how that can will affect your own mental health, how, how that will affect your children who then may not have certain issues. You know, there's a whole series of, of links there. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I just wanted to bring that up for you know, others like myself no, yeah, who wouldn't have thought about that. No, you're, that's per, that's completely accurate. In fact, one thing that I found completely fascinating about the Old Testament is God gives the Israelites an entire list of animals they can't eat. And most of the animals on that list, science has found that if you eat it, it's not particularly healthy for you, like pigs, for example. Right, right. And yeah. a lot of people were like, okay. the Israelites didn't know that. They were like, we have to trust God because God is... He's our God. If we don't trust him, we lose. And we see that several times throughout the Old Testament that when they didn't trust God, they were captured by other races and conquered and whatever. But the point is, God does, never does something that's for our ill, as far as I can tell, like just biblically and historically. So 
Yeah. And that's that's the point. Like the morals are there because they give us a grounding to live a good life, not because it's a set of rules that we have to follow. Like don't jaywalk. <laughs> yeah, they're not. It's not arbitrary or just legal. It's like it's got genuine, deep reasons that they're there. And you know, I would argue, yeah. uh, as 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 other atheists would, and, and this is the argument they'll come at, is that you want to follow the myths and structures of the world that have and structures that have existed long before you, because there's so much you'll learn from that. You know, there's so much human mm-hmm. history in there that morals will be extracted from, and those morals will be in things like the Bible. And there's reasons why we should listen to them. You know, it's not all, it's not, doesn't all have to be magic if you don't want it to be, but there's reasons why mm-hmm. certain rules exist and morals should be in place to help prevent you from getting in such dire situations. Yeah. I mean, respect your parents. That's pretty key. Why is it key? Because <laughs> what happens when you don't respect your parents? There's chaos in the house. Yeah. The, the, the home deteriorates. You yourself speaking to someone who has been in such situations, doesn't do anything positive. It leads to strife and chaos, and typically it's done out of a rebellious spirit, and that rebellious spirit is typically centered in, hey, uh, these people who are above me, I don't trust them anymore, I think I know better, and, and all of that. And in certain situations where you've got abusive parents, yeah, you, you, being rebellious is kind of what's going to happen, and it might not be a bad thing necessarily. But there's wisdom to be found in the older generations, especially parents. And there are a lot of things my parents have said or told me that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't agree with you. But there's a lot more where just because I chose to listen to them as I've gotten older, respect them. Believe me, for two years straight, I was like, no, screw you, parents. Yeah. I found that they know what they're talking about regarding certain things. I mean, you don't take everything they say like it's the, the truth from God no, Almighty. No, but it can be but a you guideline. definitely can't just yeah. ditch it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can bounce off what they say. That's totally right, though, as well. Like, as you get older, you know, as you start getting into your 20s, you're like, oh, yeah, those things my parents told me. Yeah, that made a lot of sense, you know, because they've been to fire, they've touched fire, and they've been burnt, or their parents have been burnt Mm -hmm. for those lessons to be passed down, and that's why they still get passed down, you know? So there's a lot of of wisdom in there. Well, unfortunately, the thing is, I want to ask you so many more questions, but I cannot fit it into this new bloody podcast time that I've got. I use... 45 minutes to an hour now on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a shame, really. But the fact is, we've covered a lot of great ground here, I think. I think people will find this certainly um, interesting to hear two guys who, who have had it and who have been through it discussing what it's like. But also, you know, we're looking at things like why are the differences between men and women who experience it? We looked at reasons for it, you know, secularization, social media, inaction, you know, but looking at those mm-hmm. at a slightly deeper level than people tend to give them credit for and also things like you know over over identifying with it as well yeah and how those can affect people and we managed to bring in some nice nice bits of information too so i want to thank you very much for being on the podcast and taking your time here and uh just being a great educational source for people yeah appreciate it i'm I'm glad to be here dude it was fun yeah it was it was a good time and please tell us by the way because i want to bring people your way tell us about uh, your podcast and uh, places people can find you yeah, so I also have a podcast titled uh, Wandering Thoughts. You can literally find it anywhere podcasts are. YouTube, Spotify, the ones nobody thinks about anymore, like Google Podcasts. I didn't even know that existed until I started a podcast. Um, the, whole goal, <laughs> the whole goal with my podcast is simply to have open and honest discussions, kind of like what we're doing here. Um, because I found that that's something that's lacking in culture. And I realized that after having a dis- political discussion with my friends, one of which who agreed with me mostly, another one who didn't really agree with us, and we could do it cordially. And I was like, we need to bring this to other people in some way. So, hence, 
that's the podcast. I mean, I guess I could list where I'm at on social media. Um, even if you could spell my the names I have is like Taros underscore Taron because it's Elvish. So I don't know if anyone can find It's like my Twitter and my Instagram. Yeah, if people didn't know, Joe is actually an elf. <laughs> yeah, I've got the pointy ears. <laughs> I've got a bow hiding in the closet. <laughs> Because obviously we've known each other for, for uh, almost a year now, or if not a year now. Mm-hmm. But I certainly enjoy, you know, when I pop in every now and then and, and have a little listen to your podcast, I'm always pleasantly surprised with the, with the content that's on there. Because across the internet, every man and his dog has a podcast <laughs> nowadays. So it's yeah. quite rare to find a, a decent one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And if you want to listen as well to Joe's old beliefs on depression, <laughs> go to episode two or three. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't called something like causes for depression or something like that yeah it was it was but yeah no thank you very much and uh and we'll talk again soon yeah definitely Ben. all right we did it yeah that was awesome